Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Some of you are old enough to remember the early days of Saturday Night Live and the not ready for primetime players. And that first season in 1975, each week Chevy Chase as the weekend update anchor would announce this just in, Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead, which satirized the long running announcements in the news in the previous weeks about Franco's impending demise. These days, I'm an early riser and my spouse, Mike, not so much. Each morning of the past 10 days, I have greeted him with the news. This just in, the Republic still stands. It's only a little bit funny, and these days it's not a given. And it is exhausting to live in this time of unfolding history. Are you exhausted too? We are. In 2007, in the early days of the election campaign that would lead Barack Obama to his historic win as the first black U.S. president, he gave a speech at Brown Chapel in Selma, Alabama, that became known as the Joshua Generation speech. It may help us to know more about the Moses and Joshua's story as we talk about this. In the legends of ancient scripture, Moses led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. The title of the book Exodus refers to this movement of people. During the 40 years of wandering in the desert, in biblical terms, 40 years just means a long time, Moses develops the leadership of his assistant, Joshua, and sends him along with other spies to check out this land that God has promised to them, the promised land. Moses gets a glimpse of the promised land, but dies before the Israelites can conquer the Canaanites who live there. Do you know the song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho? According to legend, Joshua conquered the ancient city of Jericho with the help of Rahab, a woman who helped with his reconnaissance. And Joshua led his people into this promised land. There is much to say about U.S. settler colonialism in relation to this story, but that's for another talk. Then Senator Obama's speech looked backward and forward in the movement for human and civil rights for all Americans. He acknowledged with deep gratitude the work of leaders like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, Lewis, Diane Nash, Rosa Parks, and others. He said, and he knew that he stood on the shoulders of giants and that the work for full inclusion, full humanity was not complete. His speech was a call to action for a new generation of activists to continue realizing the never yet fulfilled promise of the democracy of the United States. 
his election as an African-American man to the highest office in the land signaled for many that the promised land had been achieved. He was able to cross over into the promised land. You may know that the night before he died, Martin Luther King said in the great speech, I have looked over and I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we will get there. You may remember all the articles about a post-racial America after Obama's election. Of course, of course, that has not been achieved. And one wonders if in a country as scarred by racism and white supremacy culture as ours has been, if we have a hope of realizing this promise. And yet it is ours to take that baton as Allison told us in the story, it is ours to relentlessly pursue this full inclusion, full humanity and civil rights. Because to fail to do so, to pursue, is to give up accountability, integrity, ethical obligation. Indeed, it is to give up our humanity. This is the work of humanism, of our faith that people, the full inclusion of every person is more important than ideas. That is not to say that ideas are more, are unimportant, but rather that we not cling to them when they harm others, even inadvertently. Each generation is both the Moses and the Joshua generation, the one that imagines and the one that is tasked with fulfillment. To be progressive means, of course, to progress, to move forward, not only in understanding, empathy, compassion, but equally in social reform that improves the lives of those outside the dominant culture, which already benefits from its centrism, from being dominant. The people who rioted at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th were overwhelmingly white and male. The dominant culture in this country has ever been overwhelmingly white and male. The Moses generation of founding fathers did something no other society had ever successfully done before. They said that the people, that the people should get to decide how and by whom they are governed. By and through them, the world was turned upside down. Their vision was powerful and it was flawed. They could make no room for the full humanity of the indigenous people of the land, for the people who were enslaved, for anyone who didn't own property or was non-white or was non-male. Powerful and flawed. Every generation since has included both Moses and Joshua, imagining a new and better future as far as their vision could take them and unable to go as far as the next generation. Some of us look back on those founders with dimming respect. Our, our respect for them dims as we learn more. As we learn more about how the basis our, of our democracy was anything but all-inclusive. It, beho it behooves us to know that because some future generation of Joshua's will look back at us with all our good intentions 
in much the same way. How we tell stories of democracy, of who is human, of what is truth and what facts mean is crucial to our enterprise. In our opening reading, Lisa Friedman frames fragmentation as just what we need to see parts of the whole. In the centuries since industrialization, what we hold in common as human beings continues to fragment. The 20th century philosophies of deconstruction and postmodernism, all the rage in academic circles in the 90s and early 2000s, reminds us that who tells the story matters immensely to the context, to the meaning that we take away from it. For people who have traditionally held systemic power, telling the story of the greatness of our country may contain a sense of grandeur and promise. For someone who is without systemic power, the story of the greatness of the United States is by turns hollow, cruel, and evil. The riot at the Capitol, and indeed the national news of the past several years has been marked by alternative facts, as if there are alternative facts. Is this ignoring of easily provable fact, supported by evidence, the, the facts that are supported by, uh, supported by evidence, is this the end result of this fragmentation of truth Truth is what I say it is. What is open to interpretation and what is easily provable by empirical evidence are very different. How we make meaning from interpretation and from evidence are the project of justice. To whom will we listen? Whose story will we give priority? Whose voice has not been heard and, and deserves hearing? Who is not in the dominant culture receiving all those benefits? Who needs to be brought in from the margins? Many of, of us are rightfully worried about what may happen this week leading up to the inauguration as our capital is locked down, both in the nation's capital and in St. Paul. I saw some of you on the chat saying when we saw that beautiful video uh, being filmed in Washington, it was heartbreaking to think what, what is not possible this day. Many of us are, are worried uh, and we see the rise of anti-democracy seditionists aided by people who are in power. What many of us want more than anything is a return to sanity, to the health of our country. And this begs the question, what sanity? The sanity of the status quo? For whom did that work? For whom? I, it did for me, but I know not for everyone. One thing I do know is this, that holding our elected officials accountable for continuing to expand the notion of who has power, who has full inclusion in human and civil rights, and how we make our decisions. That's our work. That is the work of justice. 
holding this new administration accountable for making economic decisions that benefit the most vulnerable, for making policy decisions that benefit the planet and her people over profits, for supporting voting rights for everyone over and above the rights of a limited few. While we celebrate the inauguration of Kamala Harris as the first Black, first Asian, and first woman to the vice presidency, let us continue to call on our elected officials. Let us call them to their highest good. Let us always remember that we have not arrived, but if we do our, our work, we are always arriving and always paving the way for the next generation of Joshua's. Let us not hold on to that baton, but be ready to pass it. And let us continue to pursue our highest good, asking, what is my part? Is it to reach across the aisle and try to understand and influence someone I know for justice? Is it to find common cause with those who reside outside the dominant culture, those whose voices are often silenced. I myself need reminding that these are not mutually exclusive to listen to the voices of those who are not in the dominant culture and to reach toward that dominant culture and say, we must listen, let us expand what it means to be in that center. When my colleague, the Reverend Tara Parrish, ad admonishes white people, get your cousins. She is talking to me about some of my cousins. The work of our congregation goes on to in ever rooting out where internalized white supremacy culture lurks in our institution, unknown and quiet, but, but doing its work all the same. The First Unitarian Society Moving Toward Equity team is looking at our structural documents to find out if there are ways that we can continue our goals of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Things in our bylaws, for example, are the ways we've always done things. Where is internalized white supremacy culture lurking? And, and where might we bring the astringent of sunshine to that. One of the things that our Moving Toward Equity team doing, is doing is promoting the eighth principle project of the Unitarian Universalist Association. You heard me talk about that a couple of months ago. I'd like to invite you to save the date, mark your calendar for Saturday, March 13th, when we'll have a workshop with Paula Cole Jones, who was one of the founders of the Eighth Principle Movement. And we'll find out more about what it means for us to take this baton, to build on the anti-racism work of this congregation. Those of you who marched at Selma, those of you who uh, have done anti-racist work for a long time. What does it mean to take this baton and move forward in accountable relationship? These days of living in history at, as they are saying a lot on the news, the inflection point of history leaves many of us filled with trauma, rage, grief, 
despair, a sense of powerlessness, and also hope. Also hope. Let us not forget that the baton itself holds hope. I want to close with this prayer for protection written by our colleague, the Reverend Elizabeth Wynn. She writes, for Black, Indigenous, Muslim, Latina elected officials, for the residents of Washington, D.C., for each of us who has ever been handcuffed or tear gassed or afraid of the police or white supremacists or our government, for each of us who is afraid every day for ourselves or our loved ones or our children in this country, may we be protected. May we be protected from generations of violence and hate, from pandemic and sickness and fear. May we be protected not because we have earned it, but because of the generous grace of justice and spirit. And may those of us who can be protectors, protect be pourers of tea for ourselves and others, builders of power for love for ourselves and others, reminders to breathe and eat and fight and tend, to rest and, rest and risk so we may all be protected. And in our doubt and stress, May we rest in the air and the earth and the sky that have seen governments come and go, despots and haters come and go, that hold our bones and our breath with sacredness and survival. Here are the words from the Senator-elect Reverend Raphael Warnock. Will we play political games while real people suffer, or will we win righteous fights together, shoulder to shoulder? Will we seek to destroy one another or heed the call toward the common good, building together what Dr. King called the beloved community? May it be survival and justice. May it be shoulder to shoulder. May it be beloved community. This is our prayer. Blessed be and amen. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org. 